Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Evan. I'm delighted to be in the house of the Lord today. I hope you are too. And we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I invite you to find 1 Peter chapter 2 so you can follow along. As you're finding that, I'll give you a little introduction here that uh, we're in the season of Lent. Um, you can kind of see the darkness up here to represent that. No, we didn't forget to water the plants. Um, and as in the season of Lent, obviously we're focusing on different things, preparing for uh, Easter. <clears throat> and that's actually not that far away when you think about it. Um, it's a matter of weeks away. As we prepare our hearts for that, um, I want to take the season of Lent to think through worship and the fact that we do it not just here, but outside of this place too, in the work that we do uh, in our regular day-to-day -day lives, and it can, we can worship the Lord anywhere. And so today we're going to look at, uh, I'm in Hebrews, sorry, Second Peter, or First Peter, I'll get it right, First Peter 2, 1 through 10. So lots of numbers there. And let's read that all and, and then consider uh, where we minister as people who follow Christ. First Peter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and see that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to those who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. I want to focus on four themes all of which go together, that pop out immediately in this. And there's a lot there. We're, we're going to do that. We're looking at this with a purpose to, to as a particular angle, not to get every ounce of meaning out of this because there's a lot there. We just won't do it. So the, the themes I want to look at immediately are milk, priests, holy people, and then darkness light. And they, like I said, go together. Let's start with milk. Verse 2 said, crave pure spiritual milk. Your translation may have something slightly different, but it means the same thing. There are other parts in the New Testament that reference milk and milk as baby food and then growing into getting the more grown-up food as we spiritually mature and grow in Christ. That's not what Peter appears to be saying here. Uh, if you look at it, it seems to be simply saying milk is nourishment. And if we follow Jesus Christ, we want nourishment. Whatever nourishment God provides that grows us more like Christ, we should crave that. That's what he's saying. 
And that's an important place to start, an important foundation for what happens in the rest of this section. Because it's very easy for us to focus on uh, the new birth in Christ, being born again, and that uh, has been preached a lot. It's biblical references uh, to born again and new life in, or new birth in Christ. But sometimes then we don't crave pure spiritual milk. Sometimes then we don't grow in Christ and we forget about new life in Christ because babies are supposed to grow. Humans are supposed to grow. And if you follow Christ, you're supposed to grow. The long and short of it. He says, crave pure spiritual milk. That's the Christian life so that you would grow. Eugene Peterson, in one of my favorite passages of his, says this, it is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier Christians called holiness. It's the new life, that we would grow in Christ. And if we don't want the spiritual nourishment God provides, but we kind of want the experience, or the emotion, or the novelty of sort of claiming Christ, then actually those are all forms of idolatry. We're looking inward, not outward, to what God is offering us in Jesus Christ. Peter says you ought to grow if you follow Jesus. Second thing I want to focus on is the priests, and this will consume the rest of our time, but I'll bring in the holy people in a moment, which it all relates. Uh, Verse 5 had it referenced as a holy priesthood. Verse 9 had it referenced as a royal priesthood. Either way, we're priests if we follow Jesus Christ, is what he is saying. In the Old Testament, uh, a priest was somebody who uh, interceded, is that the right word, Beth? Interceded? I didn't practice it ahead of time. Okay. Interceded, went before us, on behalf of the people for God. Middlemen, as it turns out. And God ordained middlemen, right? That they weren't doing something wrong. They were ordained with a task to go before God with the thanksgiving offerings and the sacrifices that came to them to go before God with those things on behalf of the people. So I'm going to bring in two passages from Hebrews. You don't have to look them up. Hebrews 5 will come up on the screen, 1 through 4. And here it's talking about high priests, but it gives us the same thing of what a priest does. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So you see there, that's what a priest does. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when, when called by God, just as Aaron was. It gives a portrait of Old Testament priesthood. But then we can bring into the picture what Jesus Christ does, and I'm going to stick with Hebrews for a moment, Hebrews 7.23 and following. And it talks about the high priest still. It says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, 
blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. And so we see here a portrait of the fact that Jesus completed the sacrificial system that was set out in the Old Testament. In him it's fulfilled. There's no need for those sacrifices in that way anymore because Jesus is the final and real sacrifice that takes care of the problem of sin for us if we find our hope in him and allow that to work in our lives if we say yes to Jesus. He also intercedes on our behalf so there's no need for a middleman between us and God. We can go directly to God. Isn't that great news? We can go directly to God with anything before us. Then, if we look at the issue of holy people and the darkness and light, verses 5 and 9 bring that out as well. They bring out the priesthood and the holy people and the darkness light. What we recognize is that not only does Jesus then intercede for us as the great high priest, but also he's making a people out of us. Right? It's not just individuals that are being changed by Jesus Christ. It's a people that's being created by Jesus Christ. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. He's making us into holy priests and creating a spiritual house out of us. So I, wanna, I want to keep that all in mind as we think about this passage and, and move forward through this season of Lent and talk about work and worship and how those things go together. And, and I want to give a little story of, of uh, this has been something that's been on my mind for quite a long time, actually, many years. Uh, when I I did graduate work, uh, not sure what I was going to do in life, but I was thinking I was going to be a teacher, professor. And here I am instead, loving this, by the way, what I do. Um, I went to Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'll try to make this like an advertisement for the school, but I like the school. Um, but what I really thought was, I didn't know deeply until I got there, was that they were actually created as a school, uh, only graduate level education school for to put thinking Christians into the world. They weren't designed with a Master's of Divinity program, the pastor degree. Uh, they were designed with other simpler degrees, master's degrees, to take people and have a kind of a retreat, get master's level education in theology and the Bible, and then go back out in the marketplace and be leaders. That was the original intent. Now, by the time I got there, the Master's of Divinity degree had been added and was their biggest program, so they were churning out pastors, too, quite a lot. I didn't do that degree. But they, they had embraced a, a broader mission, for sure, of sending out leaders in different places in different ways. But what impressed me about that was how important it is that everywhere we are, God has ordained us to, and given us, created us to work and to want to work. And worship isn't relegated to this place, and our mission isn't relegated to this place. We are to be believers in light wherever we go. That's our mission, and that's our ministry. And if we're to put into terms what we're, what, I'm, what we're seeing here, that Peter's saying, and what we're going to see through the whole series, we'd simply say this, followers of Christ are light in a dark world. And we're light wherever we go. And that's who we're supposed to be, everywhere. And your work can be an act of worship anywhere you go as well. Worship isn't simply relegated to this place. But I want to give one more example of, of something that happened there that I think was helpful and eye-opening when somebody put it in words for me that I think helps us frame uh, 
what it is I'm saying here this morning. And that's this. So still at Regent College, uh, I used to, uh, as a side job, I would uh, record lectures because they sell pretty much everything in the bookstore. It's high quality stuff. They, I'd record the lectures. I'd edit those lectures as part of a team. And they had one of these just round tables of marketplace theology people one day for lunch, you know, grab a lunch, come sit. And it was really uh, the first time somebody had put this in words as they sat and discussed this. That sometimes without realizing it, and pastors have been guilty of, of preaching this way and churches have been guilty of putting forth this way, we diminish the work that we do outside of the church as far as ministry uh, influence and purpose too easily. So sometimes the way that we've presented our calling in life is this. The most important work that you could do if you're going to serve Jesus Christ is go and be a missionary out somewhere else. Right? Sometimes we've presented it that way, and that's hard work. And it's good work. But frankly, only a few are called to that work. But then if you can't do that, then what you could do is be sort of a, and I brought my, my stool so I can look pontifical here or something like that. Um, you could be a pastor, right? Or, or somebody, somebody in uh, a pastoral role in a church or have a ministry position. Or you could be like the, the youth pastor, you know, way down there. I'm just kidding. I was a youth pastor. I love them. Um, they get more free t-shirts than anybody. Um, you could do that. So missionary is the highest calling if you want to really serve God. And then pastor or something in ministry. And then below that, you could do something in maybe some other ministry, uh, nonprofit or something like that. Maybe below that, you could do start your own business with some kind of a purpose or something like that or be in education. And then below that, the corporate world and, and other business ventures that you could be in. And the way that we've sometimes presented it in the church is that each of those has a lesser ministry importance because as you go down on it, the best way you can serve is volunteer, which you should, but give money to the church. And that's the way you serve in ministry. Which is just not the truth. We should give money to the church. We do. We support the mission. You should too. The church is the hope of the world. We should. We should serve. Be an usher. Serve the kids. Do all those kinds of things. Be in the nursery. That's important work. But that doesn't mean the stuff that we do outside of here is lesser. And that doesn't mean that the stuff we do outside of here is less an act of worship if we follow Jesus Christ. We're to be light of the world wherever we go. And there's valuable mission and ministry to do outside of this place, in the marketplace, as much as inside of this place. And so what we're looking at here in First Peter is an important Reformation doctrine, and we recognize that we have a particular understanding of this uh, that other people in the Christian world don't. But those churches that are Reformation churches would understand it this way that I'm going to present it, which is the priesthood of all believers. We are all priests if we follow Christ. We don't need a go-between. It turns out we can actually be the go-between to bring someone to Christ out in the world so that they have that access as well. Because I'm a pastor, not a priest, as far as my role within the church, for instance. Right? We don't call me uh, Father Evan. When I was a chaplain, sometimes I got that, and it was weird. But I'm not Father Evan. I mean, to my kids, I am, but nobody ever calls me that. I'm a pastor, not a priest. And that simply marks my function in the church. It doesn't mark spiritual maturity or anything else along those lines. I'm a believer who has to work at it like anybody else. Now, I should work at certain things harder because I'm kind of the resident theologian, all those other things that go with the role, but that doesn't mean I'm, thank you, but that doesn't mean I'm closer to God because of that. I'm a believer, like all of you. 
with a specific role within the body of believers. I don't go to God on your behalf any more than you go to God on my behalf, although we can intercede for one another and should. We're all priests if we follow Jesus Christ. What this means is that we're all on the same mission, as it turns out. I like the back row. We're all on the same mission. If you follow Jesus, you're in direct contact with God. You have that access to God the Father. And because of that, anywhere that we go, we're doing ministry. We're doing the mission that we're called to, to be light in a dark world, at home, at work, at school, and even at the store. Anywhere that we go. And the fact of the matter is, if you look at it, um, I hope these are encouraging, but they might be depressing statistics. We spend about a little over 8,000 hours of our life doing education from kindergarten to 12th grade. That's about how much time we would spend going through that educational process. We spend about 90,000 hours of our life at work of some kind if you're working full-time. So about 13 years of your life if you're working full-time. And then retirement now is in the 20 to 30 year range, right? That's generally what's happening. Are we light and dark places in those times, in those 90,000 hours, in those 8,000 hours, right? In those 20 to 30 years, or do we just shut the switch off when we go to work? We can't do ministry there. Are we really following Christ if we shut off the switch in those places? Are we actually the light of the world in those places? During Lent, I encourage you to to focus on how you can be light in a world of darkness, in the place where you spend time the most outside of your home. So some of you might be retired. That might not be work. It might be somewhere else. Maybe it is the store, frankly. That's the place to spend. I don't know. But it could be anywhere. But where is the place you spend the most time outside of your home that you can be light in a dark world. If we're going to accomplish that, Peter tells us, guess what? We are a spiritual house doing this mission together, built on the right foundation. Peter also, just to, to round this out, Peter also uses this phrase that I found curious this week, spiritual sacrifices in this text. He says we're to offer spiritual sacrifices And you can actually see a little bit of what that means if you look at a contrast to what he said about the things we're supposed to get rid of at the beginning. So I'm going to run through that list really quick. In verse 1, he talked about five different things to get rid of, which are representative, but they're pretty uh, community-destroying. So he says get rid of malice. That is where we act evil with evil intent towards one another. How can we be light light in a dark world if we're dark in here, right? Get rid of that. And if anybody harbors that, in the house of the Lord and with his people, then let's pray to get rid of that. Secondly, deceit, tricking someone, often out of malice, but not specifically, although they're kind of tied together the way Peter writes it here. Hypocrisy, this one can reign in the church very easily. Um, It's wearing a mask, right? Two-faced is what you are. You got one presentation and another thing going on behind that. Often uh, you're kind to someone, but you're trying to do something else behind the scenes, manipulative in some way to get your own way. But you wouldn't tell somebody that, right? Envy, 
Envy, he says, get rid of that. And I would put this in the category of if jealousy is wanting their stuff, envy is more in the category of not wanting them to enjoy. You're, you're against the person, not the stuff at that point. You don't want them to even enjoy that they have this stuff. And then finally, he says, get rid of slander, which I think is one of the worst things we can possibly do uh, in the church and really anywhere. It's publicly defaming someone. Jesus himself said, don't murder. But he said, you also don't murder in your heart. Slander isn't those two things, but it's murdering someone's character publicly. And it's an awful, awful thing to do. Uh, sometimes done publicly in a, in a meeting or something like that, but sometimes it's done uh, through gossip chains and things like that. Peter says, get rid of those and build your foundation on Christ, cornerstone. He says, if you do that, if you build your foundation on the cornerstone, uh, the truth, he says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So even as we're a light in the world, we have to practice being light here. Even as we're light in the world, putting away those things so that we can practice being light here, built on the right foundation, and we go out in the world, if we live in his truth, we won't be put to shame, he says. We trust in him. Even though things might not go easy, being light in a dark place, the foundation is going to keep us standing strong. And the reason to put to death these characteristics, if we're going to be the light of the world outside of this place, is that these things function like termites in the house, right? You kind of know something's wrong, but if you don't do anything about it, the house topples over. How can we be light in a dark world if we're darkness in here? That's what Peter's asking. So put all those things that would cause you to worship idols, that would cause you to be two-faced, that would cause you to envy someone, that would cause you to be deceitful, that would cause you to want your own things over and against Christ's priorities. He says, those are your spiritual sacrifices that Christ would reign in you. But I'll give you one other way that we can sort of give spiritual sacrifices, and this is the part of the job of being a priest, is that we would intercede for others. So this is a simple challenge I want to give you. I sent out a tool actually on Friday for one of these. But I just want to recommend and suggest that you pick three people to pray from the congregation. Be a priest on behalf of someone else. That's part of our role as a priesthood of believers. Maybe they're in the room, maybe they're not. Just write down three people and say, I'm going to pray for them this week. And I didn't even say you have to write a card or something to them. You could do that. But just pray for them. Pick three people from your work or wherever it is that you spend the most time outside of your home. And, and quite honestly, if, if it is that there's a particular place you go a couple times a week to get coffee or whatever and you know names or you've seen faces, pray for those people. Whatever it is, just pick that second place and pray for three people from there. And then I really want to encourage you, you know, after uh, Lent, after Easter even, we'll do our Bless Sunday, you know, where we get to write down those cards uh, that we, who we're praying for, that kind of thing. I want to tell you to have a head start on that. I sent out a tool that I've been using called uh, Bless Every Home. It gives you information about all your neighbors. It's really cool. And you can follow up and all this kind of stuff. It's a really amazing tool. But pray for your neighbors as well. If we're going to be priests interceding for others so that people can have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, then we ought to be praying for our neighbors too. Be a priest. Intercede. Pray. And let's pray together right now as we close. Lord, thank you that you sent your son to intercede for us. And that 
upon his death, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Not only does that mean your Shekinah glory was out, it meant that we have access to you fully and completely. And through your son, Jesus, we don't have to work for our salvation and for deliverance. You've already provided it. But Lord, there's a lot of work that still needs to go on in our own hearts. That we would be uh, light in this world. So where darkness reigns in our own hearts within this place, Lord, rooted out by the power of your Holy Spirit, where, where we feel quieted in our place of work or in those places uh, of education or those places where we spend time outside of our home, Lord, may your Spirit empower us to speak truth in those places, to walk humbly, certainly, but to point people to you wherever we go this week and beyond. Lord, we want to be the light of the world. We want to worship you in spirit and truth wherever we go. And it's only by the power of your spirit that we can do that. Lord, go before us this week. Amen.